All right, if you have a Bible, grab it and open with me to Proverbs. Justice is a primitive emotion based on predictability as well as fairness. So writes Nigel Barber, an evolutionary psychologist who wrote an article for Psychology Today back in 2019 called Where Does Justice Come From? According to Barber, ideas of justice revolve around fixed expectations about how other people should behave that facilitate smooth functioning of societies. In his closing paragraph of his piece, Barber says this. He says, There is evidence that a sense of justice develops in the brains of all primates, helping them to regulate their social interactions. In one amusing demonstration of this, he writes, monkeys, accustomed to getting paid with a grape for the work of pulling a lever, were irate when they were given a less desirable piece of cucumber instead. Although they eat cucumbers, the outraged monkeys refused to work for lesser pay than other monkeys were getting. Justice often means getting what we expect to get. Now, there's no doubt that Nigel Barber is 10 times smarter than I'll ever be. And I think he probably has some pretty good insights into why humans behave the way we do. But according to Proverbs, Barber misses a key aspect of justice. And that is that justice finds its ultimate source in God. Justice is indeed a primitive emotion, but it's there because God has placed it there. It's part of his design, for God himself is just, and his world is designed to thrive when justice prevails. So church family, we're nearing the end of our study in the Old Testament book of Proverbs Lord willing, next week we're going to take up the topic of planning for the future, which is one of my favorite topics in Proverbs because it basically means you should plan and it doesn't matter because God directs everything. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, And then after that, our brother Lee Lauder on March 7th will be preaching, and then we'll hope to wrap up Proverbs on the 14th by considering the very last passage on the woman who fears the Lord. But today, as has been our practice these past six weeks, we're taking a theme in Proverbs and seeing how this theme in our lives can help us live more wisely in the world God has made for us to dwell in. Remember, we've defined wisdom as a right view of God and his world and then living life in light of that. And throughout the book of Proverbs, as I kind of read through especially uh, chapters 10 through 31, what struck me is this constant theme of justice. To be wise, we must live justly and seek justice. So two super simple basic points to, to structure our study today. First, God, the just judge. So that's the right view of God in our wisdom definition, right? God, the just judge. And second... God's just people. It's living out that view of God in the world. So God, the just judge, and then God's just people. So first, let's look at God 
and how he is our just judge. Proverbs locates the ultimate source of justice in the same place it locates the ultimate source of wisdom. God. So if you have your Bible, we're going to be flipping around like we have been more often the past few weeks to various parts of Proverbs. So turn with me to almost at the end, Proverbs 29, verse 26. Proverbs 29, 26. It says, Many seek the face of a ruler, but it is from the Lord that a man gets justice. So here in the United States, we have what's called the justice system, right? And we have a whole litany of courts and judges and juries that are tasked to maintain justice, right judgment in this country. Uh, the most noticeable of these entities is the Supreme Court itself, right? SCOTUS, nine justices with this immense privilege of ruling on the laws of this nation, and Scripture teaches us that the justice system is a great gift to us. So in his epistle to the Romans, the Apostle Paul says that governing authorities have been given to us by God. And the authority the government has is derived from God's authority itself. But here's the thing. As we've noted throughout our study in Proverbs, while God's design is good for us, God's design has also been corrupted by us in our sin. And so while the justice system is a good gift to us, we also need to hold that intention with the fact that every single member of the United States justice system is by nature a sinner, living in rebellion against God. And so each one has a skewed view of this world and of justice. Because he or she has a skewed view of God, the judge, the creator of this world. And so when our human justice system fails us, which it inevitably does, where do we go? Proverbs says we go to God. It is from the Lord that a man gets justice. He is the one who finally hands down the right verdict. I love how Tremper Longman, who's commentary I've used a lot in this series, writes on this verse, and he says, people clamor to meet the ruler to get done what they think needs to be done. But the ruler is not the one who can assure justice in this world. It is Yahweh, the Lord. People, he says, should be clamoring to get into the presence of the Lord. Friends, God is the giver of perfect justice because he is the standard and creator of perfect justice. It's the way he's designed his world to work. Justice needs to have a standard, a rule to abide by, or else we're not quite sure what's justice or what's just what people want, right? Just what our community finds acceptable. And having a right view of God, therefore, means we understand perfect justice to only and ultimately flow from him, from his rule, his law, his standard. That's ultimately our assurance that justice will be meted out. God executes perfect justice. And before we continue, let's just stop and think about why that's good news. 
See, banking on human courts to always get justice right is a fool's errand, isn't it? Doesn't mean we don't pursue that, but it means we don't bank on it ultimately. Human justice will always, at some point, disappoint. And that disappointment trickles down into all our lives. Because wrongs are done and sins are committed. And there are those who take advantage and abuse and mistreat. And many of those are never found out and never held to account. But in the long run, in the eyes of God, justice is always done. So friend, if you're here and you've been wronged in the past and the perpetrator has never been caught or punished, that can weigh on you for the rest of your life. But Proverbs has some good news for you. God's justice is always done. His eyes see everything. His ledger accounts for every single sin. And so those who commit injustice will be condemned in the end. Let's flip over quickly to Proverbs 20, 22. Chapter 20, verse 22. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. God is a source of justice. He ultimately is the judge of the world. There is a court. There is a gavel higher than Scotus. It's the court of heaven. It's God the judge. And his standard, his standard defines justice. And throughout Proverbs then, and indeed all scripture, we see that God in his justice is particularly concerned for those who might not receive justice in this world. He's concerned for justice for the vulnerable and the weak. So flip over one page probably to 22:22. Proverbs 22 verse 22. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. The poor can be easy prey for mistreatment and injustice because they, they can't fight back. But what we get from Proverbs is that not only should we treat the needy among us with fairness, but here's a motivation for you. You treat the poor with fairness, the needy with fairness, because the Lord is the one who pleads their cause. I mean, imagine being a lawyer. Some of you don't have to imagine that, but most of you do. And you're preparing arguments for a case, and you find out that the opposing side has lawyered up and hired the most feared, intimidating law firm to represent them. I mean, you start to panic, right? Do we have all our ducks in a row? What can we do? Can we get a star witness? I don't know. I've just watched shows. Sorry. Now imagine the feeling of knowing that God himself is pleading the case of the defendant. No one can fight him. 
because he's seen it all. And his claims are irrefutable and his arguments are unable to be overturned. And God, who has all authority, is not concerned so much with appeasing those in wealth or influence, but with the plight of the poor and the needy. Now, Proverbs does make some pretty stern statements about sloth and sluggardness, like we've talked about a few weeks ago, and foolish habits that can lead to poverty, right? But alongside that, it doesn't hesitate to also see poverty as a place of weakness that it is, a place of need that must not be taken advantage of unjustly. God throughout Proverbs, is repeatedly shown as the protector of the weak. So turn with me to chapter 23, verse 10. Again, just one page over, probably. Chapter 23, verse 10. Do not move an ancient landmark or enter the fields of the fatherless, for their Redeemer is strong. He will plead their cause against you. This verse has to do with sort of like an unjust land grab where someone moves or removes a boundary marker like a stone marker of sorts in a field in an attempt to get land he doesn't have a right to. And what's more, what makes this worse is that this land in Proverbs here belongs to an orphan, to the fatherless, someone vulnerable in society. And so notice here, Proverbs appeals not merely to our sense of right and wrong, to our sense of built-in morality, but it motivates us by telling us, look who's pleading the cause of that orphan. It's God. And he's strong. As one author puts it, you best not make him your enemy. One last passage on this point, Proverbs 28, 5. Remember, our our definition of wisdom is seeing God rightly and then from that being able to see everybody else rightly, everything else rightly. 28.5, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Friends, as we seek the Lord... We grow in our understanding of his design for this world, a design for justice that defends the weak and abides by his holy standards of what is right and wrong, what is foolish and wise. If you want to understand a computer, you talk to the engineer who, bought it, who, who built it. If you want to understand a book, you talk to the author who wrote it. And if you want to understand justice, you seek the Lord who designed it. That's our first point, God, the just judge. But Proverbs never ends in the ephemeral, just the mind, the intellect. It always gets down to brass tacks. How does this wisdom impact your life? So let's move on and see God's just people. If this is the God we seek, if this is the right view of the holy judge, then this must influence the way we live wisely in the world. He has designed. And that means that in order to be wise, friends, we need to live justly and seek justice. This is clear in Proverbs 12, verse 5. 
So flip back a ways to Proverbs 12, verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The, the thoughts there mean kind of the intentions of the wise person, the righteous person. Their, their intentions, their, their desire, their, their plans for life are just. This is the way to live wisely. All right, so let's put some meat on those bones. What, what does this look like in real life? Proverbs gives us some ideas. So turn with me to chapter 17, verse 23. I'm keeping you keeping your attention here, flipping around. Chapter 17, verse 23. Here's one example of how justice can be perverted. The wicked accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the ways of justice. So here, greed is the motivation in perverting justice. Someone who is willing to go against God's design in justice might be tempted to do so by greed. Now, I'm not sure how many of us are actually engaging in kind of full-scale bribery at this time, but we can definitely apply this idea to many areas of our lives, right? Because there are going to be countless opportunities over even the next year where we are tempted to skirt the rules, fudge justice, just in order to get more cash or to keep what we don't think we should be giving away. So maybe that's cheating on your tax returns. Not, not crazy. Maybe the audit wouldn't catch it, but, you know, just fudging some details. Maybe it's conveniently forgetting some truth on an insurance form you're filling out, just so that it's more, the, the company's more favorable to you. Friend, whatever that is, that's an unwise way to live. It's not only going against God's commands. It's just ignorant because it expects good results in this life while actively fighting against the one who sustains and has designed this life. Be careful the temptations of greed. Another area we might be tempted to injustice is the area of partiality, favoring someone to the detriment of others. So turn to chapter 24, verse 23. Actually, just the last part of 23. You're going to wonder why I even had you flip to this one, because there's six words there. Proverbs 24, 23b. Partiality in judging is not good. <laughs> Proverbs will bring up partiality several times. Specifically, it seems in the legal context, right? Like, so for example, Proverbs 28, 21, you don't have to flip there, but that uh, seems to reflect on how a judge or, or someone like a judge might be tempted to partiality for just a piece of bread. So it's kind of mocking. Like you say, you're all high and mighty. You're never going to pervert justice. But a crust of bread, and you might be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll show some partiality here. It's not going to take much. So church, in our lives, we must be impartial in our judgment of others if we're to be wise. We need to be aware of and repentant of ways in which we might show preferential treatment to a group of people over another in an unjust manner. 
Doing that is unwise in the sight of God. Do you remember how the New Testament uh, book of James applies this directly to a church setting like this one right now? James talks about a church service and a rich man comes in in luxurious clothing and he just gets fawned over while a poor man gets relegated to sitting on the floor. This is not the way of wisdom for the church of Christ. See, just as God is concerned in his justice for the weak and vulnerable, so too must we, his just people, be concerned for those who are poor and needy around us. They're not less than us. They need us. So turn with me to chapter 21, verse 13. This is a stern warning. 21.13 Whoever closes his ear to the cry of the poor will himself call out and not be answered. You might remember that story in Matthew 18 of, uh, of a story that Jesus is telling of a servant who's called in before his master and his master they're talking about the debt the servant owes, and the, the servant just throws himself on the master's mercy and just says, I can't, please help. And the master says, you are forgiven. Your debt is forgiven. You remember what the, the servant does? He walks out, grabs another servant by the throat who owes him less money. Jesus says, the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owned him, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. When his master found out how his mercy on his servant had not been extended to someone else, he threw that original servant in prison and said, you're not getting out until you pay your debt in full. These are three ways in which we can show justice in our lives. By being aware of our greed, our partiality, and by caring for the poor and needy. Because those shown mercy by God show mercy to others. But those who ignore the cry of the poor will themselves be ignored. Christian, there is a great disconnect in our lives if we hear the gospel news of great mercy and rich grace towards us and then are reluctant to show that same mercy to those in need around us. This is one of the reasons we so value our partnership with Tree of Life Ministries right here in Loudoun County and beyond. So this past week, we posted on our Facebook page, perhaps you saw it, Tree of Life's end-of-year recap video. The link is now broken. Sorry about that, but it was great if you got to see it. And they just went through these statistics of a pandemic year, the year 2020, when the world was turned upside down, and how they saw a 429% increase in first-time food deliveries, a 248% increase in emergency financial help, 12,000 people receiving to-go meals, partially from us, 4,500 people served one month of groceries, 13 women and children given housing. Friends, that's the heart of Christ. And Tree of Life doesn't hide that fact, taking as their purpose statement to reach out to the poor and needy in our community with the love of Jesus Christ. That sounds like Proverbs, doesn't it? 
That sounds like the way of wisdom. That sounds like the way of justice, the way of mercy. That sounds like Jesus. And so Proverbs will continue and encourage us in chapter 22 to share bread with the poor. In chapter 28, not to hide our eyes, but to give to the poor, not to plead ignorance. Turn with me to chapter 29, verse 7. Twenty-nine, seven. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. And then in the very last chapter, chapter 31, right before the, the virtuous woman passage that we'll look at in a couple weeks, we see a mother instructing her son, who's a king named Lemuel, And she tells him in verses 8 and 9, I believe, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. Church, God is the just judge. From him comes all justice. And as his created image bearers, we too are to live wise lives Injustice, especially for the weak and the needy. But there's something we need to address before we conclude. Earlier, I mentioned how God's justice is a comfort to those who have been mistreated. There may be those who seem to get away with evil and are never found out. So there's comfort in knowing God's eyes see everything and his ledger takes account of every sin. There's comfort in that when the sinner is someone else. But in this corrupt world, we know that the sinner is always also us. And so at some point, we need to see God as the just judge of us. And though he is perfect and his justice is right, we must recognize that in our sin, a God who is just is not good news for us if we remain opposed to him. For we are unjust and we have turned our backs on him. We can tell ourselves we're good enough to deserve his kindness. Many people bank on getting into heaven based on their good deeds. But here's the thing. God's standard is not good deeds. It's perfection. God is holy. His justice is thorough and complete. And so no amount of giving to the poor... No amount of volunteering at Tree of Life, no amount of being honest on your tax forms, no amount of being upright in your insurance forms, nothing will ultimately save you. There's that old song that Johnny Cash sang as the best cover of the song ever recorded. Elvis tried. Johnny Cash got it right. You can run on for a long time. Sooner or later, God will cut you down. It's a chilling song. I find it funny that Elvis kind of made it kind of fun. And Cash just made it scary. 
Friends, God's justice will be accomplished because his eyes see everything. Every sin is counted on his ledger. That was a comfort before. It's scary now. At the end of the day, we are at the mercy of the judge. And so the cry, give us justice for sinners like us, is a cry for damnation. Unless the judge executes his justice on someone else in our place. If you don't understand God's justice, you're not going to understand the full beauty of the gospel. See, the wonder of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not that God just overlooked our sin, not that he just swept it under the rug, not like he pretended it never happened. The wonder of the gospel is that God's justice was executed, and yet we were redeemed and set free. At the cross, God's own son, Jesus Christ, underwent what God's justice demanded, and all God's right judgment for sin was put on the back of the sinless one, so that you and I, the unjust rebels, could be saved. And God the judge's gavel rang out through the universe in judgment, not on sinners, but on his son. I've used this quote numerous times over the years, but it's always worth digging up again. John Flavel, a Puritan pastor from the 17th century, uh, once engaged in some holy imagination about the, the conversation between God the Father and God the Son and how they plan to save sinners. And as I read this imagined conversation, consider how God's justice factors into their plan to save. So here's a dialogue. Father, my son, here is a company of poor, miserable souls that have utterly undone themselves and now lie open to my justice. Justice demands satisfaction for them or will satisfy itself in the eternal ruin of them. What shall be done for these souls? Son, O oh my Father, such is my love to and pity for them, that rather than they shall perish eternally, I will be responsible for them as their surety. Bring in all thy bills, that I may see what they owe thee. Lord, bring them all in, that there may be no after-reckonings with them. At my hand shall you require it. I will rather choose to suffer thy wrath than they should suffer it. Upon me, my Father, upon me be all their debt. Father, but my son, if thou undertake for them, thou must reckon to pay the last might. Expect no abatements. If I spare them, I will not spare thee. Son, content, Father. Let it be so. Charge it all upon me. I am able to discharge it, and though it prove a kind of undoing to me, though it impoverish all my riches, empty all my treasures, yet I am content to undertake it. God's justice needed to be executed, and it was, on his son, 
That's how we're saved. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus bearing God's just wrath so that God can remain, as Romans 3 puts it, what Noah read for us earlier, both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Because of the cross, because of the judgment Jesus took for us, God remains just and still forgives us. We are the weak and the needy whose case Jesus pleads before the throne of God. And Jesus' case is always heard before the judge. The old hymn writer John Newton, who himself knew a thing or two about the God of justice, he once wrote, and we sing this sometimes, let us wonder, grace and justice join and point to mercy's store. When through grace in Christ our trust is, justice smiles and asks no more. God has provided a way for his mercy and his justice to both be achieved and his people be saved. So friend, if you are here or you're tuning in online and you have not repented of your sin and turned to Christ, finding him to be your substitute before the judgment seat of the judge of the universe, your judgment is still on your own head. Turn to God. Find mercy right now before the judge returns and it's too late for you. In church, in a world clamoring for justice and aching for mercy, we are heralds of a gospel that gives both of these in rich measure. As we'll sing shortly, in the love of the cross, grace and love like mighty rivers pour incessant from above, and heaven's peace and perfect justice kiss a guilty world in love. Let's pray. Our just judge, we thank you that for those of us in Christ, our judgment has been utterly exhausted at the cross and there's nothing left for us to pay. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking every last drop of God's judgment for us and leaving us with nothing but grace. And so give us joy now as we sing of that amazing love. Amen.